Welcome to the recording of the 2022 Northwest Expositor Seminar featuring John Mark Hicks. This year's seminar is entitled Christiformity, Entering into the Life of Jesus. This is Lesson 5, Jesus Living in Community, Points of Connection, recorded Tuesday, January 18th. I think in these next three lessons, we're, we're shifting gears a little bit, not, uh, not totally, because we are still interested in participating in the life of Jesus. Um, but the focus is going to be less theological and more practical. And, um, well, at least the two this afternoon are more that way. And uh, these two this afternoon are pretty important to me. Um, I, have, uh, I have found what I'm going to talk about this afternoon to be life-saving for me, ministry-saving for me. Um, <coughs> you know, my father was a workaholic. He was the kind of minister who, who um, would go to the office every day, except Christmas. I mean, every day, except Christmas. And he would be out in Bible studies three nights a week, and you know, then we had Wednesday nights and Sunday night. And he was not a very recreational type guy, you know. He. Um, he didn't enjoy camping, and he didn't enjoy fishing, and he didn't enjoy sports, going to sports events. And, you know, he was a workaholic. I mean, he was, a, he was kind of the definition of workaholic. And that had an impact on our family. And Dad, in later years, apologized to the kids about that. We didn't have any rupture or any, you know, there was no family dissolution or anything. Um, we loved each other and cared about each other up until until his death. But he was a workaholic. And um, that kind of shaped me as well. Because I became part of that world with him. You know? um, and I was a workaholic up until about 13 years ago. And there are a lot of dimensions to that. But what I want to share with you this afternoon is um, some perspectives taken from the life of Jesus, I think, legitimately so, that have redeemed my, my approach to life and provided a way in which I could experience the fullness of life um, instead of just working myself to death. And um, there's one sense in which I'm a little hesitant about this because uh, I don't want to create something out of the life of Jesus that isn't really there. You know? I don't want to abstract. You know, you, you find a good idea and then you go looking for it in the Bible. You know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, no, I, I don't want to make that move. That's not the move I intend to make. Um, but in reading, in, in, in developing some of these ideas in my own life and practicing them in my own life, um, I came to discover them in the life of Jesus. 
At least I think I did. You can judge for yourself whether that's legitimate or not. Um, and then I found that there were other people who, who had similar ideas that I had. I wasn't original. Um, in fact, what I'm going to talk about here this, uh, this session, session, uh, what do we call it, five, Jesus living in community, varied connections, this, these five levels of community, you might call it. Uh, I've actually discovered that in, um, in other writings since I developed my own idea about it. Uh, in a particular book by Bobby Harrington and, oh, I don't know the other guy, but it's a co-authored book, but Bobby Harrington is one I know. Uh, he's a guy I know. Um, called uh, Discipleship. Oh, what is the title of that? It is, um, yeah, Discipleship That Fits. Discipleship that fits. And if you like what I'm talking about, you want to explore that deeper, uh, he has these same five levels in that book in terms of discipleship, disciple-making. And that's the emphasis is disciple-making in his book. And we use different language for it in terms of identifying, naming it, but it's still, we're still talking about the same thing. And there was another book uh, by a, uh, a Christian sociologist, The Search to Belong. The Search to Belong. And in that book, there is a um, 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 similar sort of leveling, except for one. That is, in that book, he doesn't talk about solitude. Uh, but the other four levels are there. So while I'm... I, while I have kind of generated this out of my own experience and my experience with the text, it's certainly not unique. And it's not anything um, that I can say, okay, this is my stuff, I'm copywriting it now. Yeah. <clears throat> you know, whatever I hand out to you, you can use however you want. I don't, I don't care at all about copyrights. Not my copyright. Now, I'm quoting somebody, care about that. You know, <laughs> but me, I don't care. You know. I get emails sometimes, can I use what's on your blog? And I said, that's why it's out there. You know, can I quote it? Sure. No, you don't, it, 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 for me, I, I'm just not into that, um, uh, that aspect. Use what you find useful, you know. If you don't, if you don't find anything useful, it's okay too. You go, you do your thing. Well, the five levels. And, and I do think of these um, in, experientially, in a, um, I don't know if hierarchy is the way to, I don't know if that's the right word, I don't like that word particularly, uh, um, but I think of them uh, in an ordered way, maybe, uh, is a better way to say that. So when I'm thinking, for example, uh, I'm going to start here with solitude. I think of it as foundational. Now, as a workaholic, I was alone a lot, but I wouldn't call it solitude. I was alone working. I was alone reading my Greek New Testament, or I was alone working on a, a book, or I was alone working on something. It wasn't solitude with God. And that's what I mean by solitude. Being alone with God. 
And I went through long periods of my life where I didn't have that. And now I recognize it as the, the fundamental resource out of which I live. It is the primary resource out of which I live. Right? The second level, and sometimes I forget what I call these things, um, is what the intimacy. Oh, yeah, the intimacy. Intimacy. And we're going to talk more about each of them as I, as I get to it. As a workaholic, I didn't know what intimacy was. Because everything was about work. And I used relationships for the sake of work. Right? I mean, it wasn't always that crass. I understand there's some grace in there somewhere, you know. Um, but there wasn't intimacy because nobody knew me, nobody knew my sins. Nobody knew my fears. Nobody knew my struggles. On the outside, I looked pretty good. And I would put on that kind of face. I didn't have any intimacy with anyone. Even, even in my marriage, there's intimacy, but there's not intimacy. Just some things don't talk about at that moment, in that period of my life. So, um, you know, I was sort of an emotional cripple and didn't know it because I didn't have any intimacy with anyone. The next level is, um, oh, what did I call it, relationship? Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah, okay, relationship. Um, uh, this gets more comfortable. You know, being, in, being alone with God is kind of, it's a journey of discovery that is a little frightening. Uh, intimacy is a scary thing because I don't want you to see into me. <laughs> if you really saw into me, you wouldn't like me. It might be because I don't like myself very much. You know, that, I mean, I might be one reason. Might not be the reason. But relationships are 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 places where you can have kind of mutual support. Um, uh, there. Uh, you know each other, but it's not a vulner- it's not vulnerability, it's not intimacy, it's just kind of uh, camaraderie, you know. And you have uh, you can have some support with one another in that, but it's not it doesn't have depth. It can, but it doesn't always have depth. And then the next level is what uh, call it community. I think Bobby Bobby calls it social. He calls this uh, person. He calls uh, I, what does he call this? I can't remember what he called that, but he called this uh, transparency. He called this uh, personal. And called this social. You know, this is this kind of the community I hang out with. This is a club I belong to. This is the church I belong to, or you know something. Or this is a group I, I work with. Um, and then the last one is um, uh, Bobby calls it public. Um, I, I call it assembly because I'm thinking primarily in terms of the church community, spiritual relationships, or the relationships with people in the body of Christ. Let me put it that way. 
And when uh, and each of these I want to talk about, but you know, intimacy we're going to spend the second hour on, not, not this hour. And assembly we'll talk about tomorrow morning. So the focus is going to be mainly on, on three of these for this moment. And then intimacy, which I think is really, it's life-changing for me. Um, and it, uh, all of this can be couched in, in a couple of ways. You, you could, as I explain these or talk about them in the context of Jesus, for example, um, I could be coming at the angle of, okay, what's going to be a healthy church? Does a healthy church have oppor- opportunity? Does a healthy church encourage all these levels? If you have a church and all you have is assembly, you don't have much of a church. Um, so we can talk about in terms from in terms of a healthy church. We can talk about in terms of disciple making. That disciple making happens not just um, in a one-on-one situation. It can happen in a social situation. It can happen in a small group situation. And in fact. Bobby argues in his book that disciple-making happens best when all the factors are involved. That all the factors are involved. Um, But there's another angle at this, and that is in terms of a personal life of a minister, which is kind of where I started from here, that in in our personal lives, this is a way to avoid burnout. This is a method for learning, or or it is an approach to communal life uh, that can avoid burnout. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to say that's 100%. uh, That's not penicillin, you know, or anything like that. Uh, But I think living with various levels of relationship uh, empowers us for healing, it empowers us to to adequately balance our relationships, and it keeps us from investing too much in one without the other. Right. So it's about living a balanced life. Right. So there, those are different angles that you can think about this with. Um, but let me come at it by just describing each a little bit more and talk about uh, you know, Jesus in the context of this. Um, when we talk about solitude, of course, we're talking about um, the relationship with God. Right? This kind of one-on-one with God. Some kind of habitual practice where the focus is not on getting work done. Because that, that would happen to me a lot. I, mean, I studied the Bible every day. You know, That's my job. I study the Bible every day. But I don't commune with God every day. Or I didn't. I wasn't intentional about communing. I was more focused on accomplishing tasks. Being very task-oriented rather than relationship-oriented. And if we always come to the Bible with our task, like our job, or our sermon, or our Bible class, or trying to figure out a question somebody asks us, or, you know, 
if that's those tasks are legitimate tasks, to be sure. I mean, nothing wrong with those tasks. But if that's the only way in which we're coming to meet God, if that's the only way we're approaching Scripture, then we're missing out on something. Uh, we're not communing. We're just tasking. Now, I understand communing can be a part of tasking. I'm, I don't dispute that at all. But it is about the focus, you know, and what the main... So it seems to me that we need moments of prayer and meditation, reading scripture. Uh, there are all sorts of spiritual practices. It seems to me that there are spiritual formation practices. Um, that provide a, a, a help, a tool to encounter God and to commune with God. You know, for me, uh, silence is a big one, just being silent. And I can be silent walking. I can be silent sitting somewhere. I can be silent listening to something. Not something that is, um, you know, not some debate or something, <laughs> you know, but listening to, to the reading of Scripture or listening to songs that connect me with God, that, re that connect with my heart. So when I'm talking about solitude, I'm, I'm not just, I'm not narrowing it to one particular way of practicing it, right? But the focus of it has to be Communion. Right? Communion is that focus. A sense of listening to God, a sense of responding to God, and it includes all kinds of practices from prayer to reading scripture. What, you know, uh, I hope you have a resource of your own that you're aware of, that, that, or you have some practices of your own that... Uh, uh, have the point that their point is to commune to be filled um, not just filled with knowledge or intellectual activity but to be filled with a presence to be filled with the presence and I liked that that was that was a major uh, hole for me was this lack and we don't have to look far in Jesus life to see that do you Get up early in the morning, go out to pray. Get up so early, they're start, they're looking for him when he gets up. You know, when the others get up, they're where'd he go? Yeah, uh, and that was a habitual practice on his part. You see it in Mark and in Luke several different times. Um, you see it in the garden when he takes eleven into the garden, then he takes three further in, and then he goes by himself. Right? So you see this practice in the life of Jesus. As, as a part of his spiritual resource uh, and his way of being in the world. Intimacy. Intimacy is, is you know, I would, I would tend to think of it more about three to five people. Three to five people. Those three to five people that you would say, know me very, very well. They know my history. 
they know the sins of my youth. Uh, they know the sins of my present. <laughs> they know my struggles. They know my marriage uh, and the issues I have in my marriage or the problems I, I create in my marriage. These are the people I talk to about what's going on in my life. And I don't hold back. That's why Bobby calls it uh, transparency. Because intimacy is about, it's about, you know, openness and transparency and being able to, um, to see into the other person. Intimacy. Into me, you see, right? I let you see into me. Intimacy. And so I don't put up barriers. I don't make excuses. I don't, um, I don't try to pull the wool over their eyes because they know me too well. You know? I have been in an intimacy group for 13 years now with the same guys. Uh, I started it because I, I needed it. I recognized I needed it. I wasn't, that, and that wasn't some kind of great insight on my part. People told me I needed it. <laughs> um, and I listened to them. And I recognized, I need that. I don't have that. I, I need that. I mean, Jesus has a, has a uh, Peter, James, and John, right? I always wondered what Thaddeus was thinking. You know? Jesus goes off with Peter, James, and John, and Thaddeus is up here. What? What about me? What do I play for? Who knows? Maybe Jesus did take that here sometimes. Who knows? All we know is what we got, right? Um, but there is an intimacy here that we'll talk more about in the second half of this afternoon. So I'm going to hold off on that and hold off on talking about intimacy to any great degree uh, until later. Relationships, you might guess what's coming here in terms of number of people. So I would say, you know, 8 to 14 or so, something like that. A small group that has a kind of a small group function where people are supportive, where you can share private information. You may not confess all your sins. I mean, I'm not going to necessarily confess my sins to 14 people. I'm sorry. It's not going to happen. I don't feel safe with 14 people. Right? Oh, I might do a church confession of sin, you know, and say, hey, I have sinned, and nobody asks me what it is. <laughs> um, but in terms of uh, being vulnerable, vulnerability is more here. It's important to confess our sins. I think there's something cathartic about confessing our sins. If, if only, if, even if it didn't have anything to do with something theological, it, it's cathartic to get it off your chest, right? To get it out there. So it's not a secret. Secrets kill us. <clears throat> and the AA tells us this, right? Secrets kill us. Of course, the monks have been telling us that for centuries. You know? uh, AA is just a another version of, of, of how monks conducted community. Right? Um, part of monasticism, a lot of the monastic order is embedded, is, is 
is embedded in AA. But anyway, um, so we have supportive where we can be, um, we can talk about private things, uh, we can share stories, we can share um, stories about family and life and, and in general and work and and we can uh, study the Bible together. We can pray together. And if there's a, you know, a loss in the group, the, the, we can weep with the loss. If there's a joy in the group, we can rejoice with it. And, and the joy and the weeping isn't perfunctory. It isn't uh, just, um, you know, you make an announcement at church at 120 people. And, yeah, everybody feels something to one degree or another. Uh, but, you're, but this group... Whatever that rela this relationship is a relationship where it means something to hear from them. It impacts them. This is kind of an impact. Has significant impact on the lives of people. And I think that, you know, this was the disciples, right? This is how Jesus discipled disciples. This is how he mentored disciples was in this kind of group the 12 um, and I think it provides a, a nice helpful tool for as we think about our own relationships okay where in my life is, is does that exist do I have that uh, where in our community is a church where, where does where does supportive private impactful conversations take place is there a um, is there space in the church for that? Do we create space in the church for that? Right? And part of the problem with small groups in many churches is they let them get too big. And we all know that problem, right? I mean, you get 10 people together and they have a great small group, and then you have 15, then you have 20, and then you have 25, but nobody wants to get smaller. They don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But what the dynamics of people, of 10 people, is very different from the dynamics of 25 people. Very different. Yeah? There's this, uh, you're talking about confessing sin and uh, to just these, like these three, three people, your three intimacy groups, you're calling it, and then uh, not to, the, you're not going to specifically confess sins to the to the, to the church about something which I agree with and maybe not even confess them to the to the three people or even sometimes to your wife and then other times you should confess specifically to the whole church what you've sinned because the whole church already knows it anyways that you did that particular sin and then the other thing is the problem and we've had a problem with it with some of the French things in our in our movement is confessing your sins to somebody that's less spiritual or younger than you are so for instance when I was raising my kids I told Dave this earlier when I was raising my kids if I sinned to their mother my wife or to somebody else or whatever if they understood when they started when they were one years old and say, I sinned, and I'd say what I sinned because I sinned in front of them, right then, not not to my three friends that I, that are, that are mutual or above me. 
And I think we have a problem sometimes confessing our sins to people that are less mature than we are spiritually because we sin. And I don't know about everybody else. I sin all the time. And he forgives us all the time. Mm -hmm. And I want to have that, that relationship with the other person too to confess sin when you see them sin. Yeah. Yeah, I think um, what I'm talking about here really doesn't relate to that because that is more about making amends when when I am when I do something in front of people or and I hurt other people and, and they're aware of it um, and I need to make amends yeah I need to be I need to be able to say I, I did wrong and you know when I do it in front of people and when uh, I've done it to them I need to make amends right I think that's a daily habit it's a daily habit. In fact, in AA, you know, the, we, the um, 12-step groups recommend, just like John of Damascus did back in the 6th century and uh, other monks, that at the end of the day, you review your day. And when you review your day, you, you identify where you did that very thing. You did something that you shouldn't have done, and it was offensive or it was problematic or it hurt people. And you make the... Um, that you decide at the end of the day, okay, I did that, that, that was wrong. And the next day you go back and you make amends. And you, you acknowledge it. So yeah, that's a different sort of thing than what I'm talking about here. What, what I'm talking about here is, um, and of course- I'm not saying that's wrong. I'm not saying that's wrong. No, I didn't I'm hear that. I didn't hear that, I didn't hear that you were saying it was wrong. Yeah. And, uh, it was just taking us down a different road. Yeah, yeah. All right. um, but certainly we should confess our sins to the church if it's public knowledge in the church. You know, I would think that would be true. But here, I'm talking about a week. This is, this is kind of a, an ongoing weekly relationship. An ongoing relationship where I have people I'm intimate with not only about my sins, but about my uh, values, about my uh, uh, positives, you know, uh, living life at an intimate level. Uh, so it's not only about sin. And it's mutual. You know, it's, it's not, I'm here to confess to y'all and y'all don't, you know, y'all just sit there and listen. No, this is, this is a mutual yes. relationship. Yeah. I have yeah. a question about that. Uh, did the three five people have to meet at the same time? I've been people in my yeah. life, but uh, for more one-on-one, one-on-one, one-on-ones, and uh, can't imagine all get together. Yeah, I, I don't think there, there's any. I don't think there's any rule to create here. But what works best for me, and what you know, I, I don't. I can't say that it works best for everybody. But what works best for me is to have a weekly gathering with these guys, uh, where not only not only is a moment of intimacy where I can share, but where I can be affirmed as well, and where I can be supported, um, and I can support them. So, but it can happen one-on-one, -on -one and you have three or four different people that are that for you. What would that yeah. format be like? I mean, they all, you all get to some of those take turns going to each other's houses or go somewhere else? No, we... What's the format here? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, no, this is more of the second half here. So, oh, sorry. <laughs> we might bleed over, but let me just answer your question. 
um, we meet um, at a we meet at church building. <clears throat> one's a Catholic priest, one's a medical doctor, one's a professor, and one's a medical administrator. Owns his own business, and me. You know, and we we meet every week at uh, 8:45 on Saturday morning for an hour. And we have rules. We have we have agreed upon rules. You know that if we don't talk over each other. No one talks while the other's talking. We take turns. We ask permission to question. Um, and you know we have certain kind of ground rules that, that make it a safe space. And all of us are familiar with 12 steps, so we kind of operate with some of those rules. Uh, although we go beyond them because we we're more interested. We're interested in accountability as well as just a safe space. But maybe I'll talk more about that. So let's, uh, well, with Jesus, of course, it's the, you know, it's the 12, right? Community. Now, community is, um, um, typically the numbers are like, you know, 15 to 70 people, a social environment. And when I mean social, I don't mean you know, outside of church. No, this can be a social environment would be like um, like Jesus at Matthew's house, right? That'd be a, you know, 30 people, whoever. I don't know how many people were there, of course. Yeah, I have no clue. But it was the 12 and Jesus, at least, so there was more than 12, probably. Um, or Jesus at Zacchaeus' house, you know. Um, or family... Um, family celebrations like Thanksgivings, you know, that's that can be a larger extended family kind of group. But think about how the early church met in houses, Oikos, the, the house church. And what the scholars tell us, I certainly haven't measured it myself, you know, so I'm going on what. What is typically said is that a, that a house church could hold, you know, maybe up to 60, 50, 60 people, something like that. So even the house church in the biblical context was functioning at this kind of communal level. Right? Kind of like a large Bible class. But of course, not in a church auditorium, but in, in a home, which gave it a different feel. Uh, different social feeling, right? But at this communal level, um, which we find Jesus sending out the 70, right? Jesus gathering the 70. That would be an example of that kind of communion. At this level, there, there can be this kind of sense of family, extended family. You know, you, you know everybody's name, kind of. And you know something about everybody, and there are connections, and there are shared experiences in different ways, um, but you feel like a family um, because you do know each other at some level other than, oh, I know their name, I know where they work, and they go to church here, you know, that, that kind of thing. Uh, and this is what allows some groups to be sort of missional. That is to be task-oriented. Uh, you might be a part of a group that does uh, the benevolence closet 
right? Maybe there's 15, 20 people who are involved in the, in the benevolence closet. Well, that's a missional community that has their, the, the community is, gathers because it has a mission. It has something, a task that it wants to perform. And churches need those kind of groups, right? We don't need to necessarily say everybody needs to be involved in everything. What we need are maybe more, um, everybody needs to be in some kind of missional group or to have that kind of experience, to have that kind of outlet for mission where they can be involved in something that uh, is uh, missional in character. Small group can do that too, because you know, it's well worked out two by two. This is, the intimacy group is not a missional group. It's a health group. It's a internal health kind of group. And the small group can be an internal health kind of group, but small groups can do different things, and there are different, different kinds of small groups, right? They can have different purposes. So uh, we don't want to just reduce them all to the same thing. And the same is true for the missional group. <coughs> then assembly is, um, you know, it's a, let's say, a hundred plus group, whatever. And when we think about assembly, and we'll talk more about it tomorrow, part of the problem is um, we want the assembly to serve all the functions of the other groups. <laughs> we want when it comes to church and we want to have the intimacy and we want to have the closeness and we want to have the mission and we want to have you know we want to feel like family and we want the assembly to be all of that. And that's not the function of the assembly, you know. Not in not in the sense in which uh, we typically practice assembly. For example, it's not the function of, of, the, um, of the Feast of Lights in John 7 for everybody to feel like they're family or for everybody to feel like they're supported or everybody to feel like they're intimate with everyone or that you know everybody's name who's there. You know, that, that's not the function of it. Its function is, is much more kind of inspirational, motivational, and there's learning, whether we call it preaching or the reading of the word, or, uh, and there is experience of community at some level. There is, this is a level of community. So you do experience level, say, the way we do table these days. You know? Okay, we can experience community at the table, but, but it's not the kind of experience of table you would have here, right? or even here. If you have three to five intimate friends at a table eating together, that's going to be a different experience than, than the potluck right? at church. Right? Um, both are good. It's not a matter of bad and good. It's a matter of the different ways in which human beings experience the world. We experience it with solitude with God. We experience it with intimacy with others, including our, you know, our marriages. 
We experience it in smaller groups where we have, um, you know, for example, I have a discipleship group that um, meets weekly. And we're usually six to eight. Uh, these are all ministers in the area, and I, I meet with them once a week to talk about their churches and their lives and their, you know, it, it gets close to intimacy because we're so because we keep it six to eight, but it's um, it's more a support group, you know, kind of thing, as a discipleship support group. Um, My, my suggestion is, and I'll, I'll stop here in a moment to let you uh, have questions. Um, my, my suggestion is that in our own personal lives, we need to have some kind of identity with all these different groups. There, there needs to be something in our lives that we can, that we can say, yeah, that, that's what happens there for me, and that's what happens there for me, and that's what happens there for me, and not expect one of these to, to fit all. That we don't expect one group to kind of fill it all, right? There are things that happen in each of these groups given the different sorts of social interactions, the different relational interactions that happen, that one can't substitute for the other. Now, your church may only be 50 or 70. Well... You can still have this by doing things like going to regional events, right? This is what Israel did. I mean, the synagogues were probably not, they weren't thousand-member synagogues, you know. They were probably in, they were probably more in the community range. Probably a little bigger often, but more in the community range. But what did Israel do? Israel had these other events, right? These other public events that they could gather with believers and it was important to them to be a part of that. And so in terms of a small church and regional events, that's why it's important to create regional events or to, to, to have opportunity for regional events so that we can experience you know, a, a larger sense of assembly. Um, you have that in the Jerusalem church. They met in the temple daily, but they went home to break bread. They broke bread in homes which I think is the same breaking of bread as in verse 42, but that's another question. But it seems to me they were operating at, okay, at two levels. There's this level of going to the temple to pray and listen to the apostles' teaching, and then you go to home in smaller groups, whatever size that may have been. Could have been, you know, in this range, or could have been in this range. I don't, who knows? I don't know. But they went into homes in order to experience the breaking of the bread in a different way. You know? To recognize these levels uh, is maybe a way of uh, looking at our church and say, are we creating space for this? Or are we expecting everybody to get it out of the assembly in their Bible class? Yeah. Or whatever small, pro small group program we may have. And what are, what are we doing with those? What is the intention of those? Yeah. But as ministers, I would... Uh, I don't want to get into the next topic, but I'll... As ministers, I think... I have met so many ministers who don't have this. And it is a huge hole. It is a huge hole. And, and I've found in those ministers and those uh, 
um, chat staff members who who are burned out. Not always, but a lot of times, this is a this is a big missing piece right here. I really want to go into it, but I'm going to hold off. <laughs> um, I'm just afraid I'll forget what my, that thought was, and I won't remember to bring it back up. Um, so think about it in terms of church. Think about it in terms of your own ministry. Do I, do I as a minister, have... Do I experience this level, these levels? If I don't experience one of these levels, what am I missing? What's important about that level? What does that level contribute to my emotional and spiritual health? And the same is true for the church as a whole. And I really believe that there's a balance here um, that is important. And we all experience it when we, when we hear people at church saying, I don't know everybody's name. Well, you're not supposed to at this level. <laughs> that, that doesn't necessarily happen. You know, some people are really good at it, and they can. My daughter, for example, she knew everybody's name in a church of 300. She just she knew all their names and phone numbers. And I said, "Where did you come from? <laughs> you didn't come from my body. Um, your mom and I got to have a conversation." Um, uh, but that doesn't typically happen, right? Not typically. And usually people find themselves in group. You know, sometimes we think when cliques are exclusive, that's bad. You know? But there's also a value to having a supportive group. And I wouldn't call it a clique. It'd be a clique if it's exclusive, I guess. And maybe that's the definition of clique. Yeah. Let's so, go ahead and ask questions. And then... Yeah, I guess. Before I think it too, because I'll forget if I don't ask it now. Um, so as I as I look at this, uh, the the one thing that comes to mind is okay. I got to create these. I got to organize these. I got to plan these. So all of a sudden, I'm already in task mode. Yeah, yeah. And so, mm-hmm. it, how do we move into, um, or or do we, into so like community? Um, I'm going to have to create that and build that. And so now I'm, in, um, I'm just in charge again of mm-hmm. all of these different arenas. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, uh, yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that, and I, I hear that uh, that danger, that risk, that in order to, to participate in a healthy community, now now I'm going to be the work work guy and create it and manage it, and and I'm going to spend all my time creating and managing, and I'm not going to experience right that that kind of thing. I get into that mode. Yeah, that's a real danger, to be sure. I think maybe the first step is not so much oh I got to go create these as <coughs> Let me look at my church life. Are these there already? In what ways are they there already? I may not have to create them. I may just have to become more aware of them and help other people become more aware of them and what each contributes to their spiritual health and their spiritual life and their emotional well-being to have an emotionally healthy church, for example, uh, so that people don't have expectations in church Oh, that small group over there, and that small I, I don't like us all being in different small groups. I think we should all just be one big family. Well, that's not to recognize the value that, that smaller groups bring and what happens in a small group that can't happen here. Right? 
And there are things that can happen here that necessarily can't happen in a small group very well. Right? Um, so I, I would say the first awareness would be what is, what's in my life? Are these levels in my life in some way? And then and as you think about church, just reflect on where is this happening in my church? It might already be happening. We're just not aware of it or we're not, we're not uh, helping people see the value, uh, that sort of thing. You know? and, but there may be something, you know, if you don't have this solitude, yeah, you better create that. Because I, I really do think it, it flows this way. But that's the flow. Yes. I wouldn't be absolute about that because these are all interconnected. You know, it may be more like a web than a flow, you know. But there is a sense in which this is, this is dissatisfactory <coughs> because this is not here. People are dissatisfied here because they don't have this. Maybe. That may not be the case. Right? It may be that there's, there's something going on here that is disruptive to that. Yeah. Um, as I haven't necessarily thought of this as specific as these levels, if you will, but um, something that's been very helpful to me as a minister, as a person who can sometimes feel like an employee of the entire assembly, you know, the beck and call of everyone, to come to the realization that I do not have to be this for everyone yeah. has been very freeing. Um, I think you can find all of these relationships within the assembly, but not necessarily. And the, the realization that I don't really have to be friends with everyone in my congregation was very freeing. I can still be friendly, yeah. but not everyone needs to know all about me, and I don't need to know all about everyone. Right. And right. I think balancing that with a healthy sense of like closeness and community within the body of Christ is good, but um, it... It's helped. It's been very healthy for me to realize I don't have to be intimate with everyone in my congregation. Yeah. Well, that would be such a burden. <laughs> That's impossible. Even Jesus wasn't intimate yeah. with everyone. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so, yeah. That the, the problem is we have expectations that we have to be careful what we set our expectations because that's the recipe for disappointment and for burnout when we have too high of expectations. Uh, we need to be able to have a healthy expectation uh, and diversify that rather than lump it all have it all you know if you expect all of that out of the assembly it isn't going to happen yeah. um, it might happen after assembly you know where you have a couple of people you're over in the corner with praying with and talking intimately with but it's not going to happen in the assembly right that has a, that has a different purpose than intimacy. Another question, yeah. I don't know, maybe this doesn't apply, but uh, do you try, if you find holes in your congregation where these don't exist, do you try and do that mechanically or do you try to 
create avenues through solitude or whatever mm -hmm. that they happen organically, I guess is my Yeah, point. that's a good point. <laughs> I, you know, organic is always better, right? Because it's just the flow of the life of the body, right? right? I mean, that's always better. Um, in the book that Bobby wrote, uh, Discipleship That Fits, they talk about that. And they, they offer some suggestions about that. And um, they're, they're, they're pretty good. I, I think they're pretty good. Um, if there's a big hole, then I would want to find some way to, to provide space for that, for those who... Because if that hole is there, some, something's missing. You know, something important is missing in the body. And, uh, I think we need to supply that or create space for that, encourage that. Can't make it happen. You know? um, but if you have, if you have group, you're probably most everybody already has this stuff going on, but just not thinking of it in these terms, right? You have little ministry groups that are doing ministry in particular things, right? Well, that, that's probably somewhere here or here, right? small group or missional group. Um, what, and most people probably, many, I, you know, I don't know, it's hard to say, because this isn't something we talk about, about having intimacy with people. How many people have no people, well, I can't say it that way. How many people know everything, I can't say everything, <laughs> How many people know the the depths of your struggle with God in an intimate way so that there's a mutual you know their depths, you know, you know their struggles, you know their sins. You don't know everything, right? But you've got some people in your life that it's a mutual Intimacy, beyond your wife, you know, uh, and hopefully there. Right? I think we need that. It's it's been important for me. Yeah. But Jesus has his three disciples, um, and that's like a rabbi disciple relationship with that's it's this intimate relationship. The one that you described sounded more like a peer yeah. type relationship. Yeah. Um, I, I think, do you think that's the, important to find mentors in that kind of relationship, or is it peers? Yeah, again, I don't want to be too restrictive about all this, you know? I think it's a fluid thing, and it's not, and the better, more organic it is, the better. Um, but I do think that the relationship between Jesus and the three is more than just rabbi relationship. I, I think it is also uh, a relationship that reveals and invites them into an intimacy with him in a way that he doesn't invite others. Right? So there's something different going on there, uh, which we're going to talk about here after the break. Yeah. So in, in, the, in this picture, where, where does an elder relationship with the body fit in? Yeah, this is not a this is not a picture about um, uh, this is not a leadership picture. This is a picture of communal relationships. 
Now, if you want to add a leadership picture, that is, um, you might say in a community of 15 to 70, you're going to have a leader of some kind, right? But the elder's more than leader. I'm sorry, the elder's what? Elder is more than leader, don't you think? Yeah. It's relationship folks uh, in yeah. some fashion, of course. Yeah. But I, I guess that's what I struggle I, with is sometimes I feel spread so thin with relationships with um, all of the body, like I like I need mm. to know them better than I do yeah. as a as an elder, I guess. And I yeah. so I was trying to oh okay, where, where I see your question. Fit in yeah. with, with that role. Uh, okay, that's a good question. What I hear you asking is, um, as an elder of the whole body, and I got two hundred members, what kind of relationship should I have to all two hundred members? Is that kind of the question? Well, I I think. You can't have an intimate relationship with all 200 members. You can't have a even a small group relationship with all 100 members, 200 members. It's just not possible, it seems to me. Um, so that's where the potential of, of having um, um, where you participate in groups that give you that opportunity to build relationships, but not with the expectation that I'm going to eventually do this with all 200. I, I just don't see that that is is functional or realistic. Uh, that that will be inherently disappointing, in my my opinion. Now, I may be wrong. You know, maybe that works in some places. Um, but it seems to me that when you're talking about shepherds um, with oikos house churches, you're you're talking about you know, a, a limited number for a church of 50 or 60 people in a house church. Yeah. And that's more the world that New Testament operated in. Now, there are exceptions to that. I mean, Jerusalem's a big church, right? And they got elders. So I don't know how that worked. <laughs> you know, I don't have a clue. Except that we do know they had their big meeting and then they had their breaking bread group, you know? So there's just a lot we don't know about that yeah and I would imagine along with what Kyle was saying that you know if we're looking at an elder to a community <coughs> level back 15 70 people mm -hmm. then the the elder again doesn't necessarily need to be super close friends buddy buddy intimate with every single yeah, person exactly. in that 70 person group but every person in that 70 person group can look to that person and say they're a person I would trust mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. To, to move towards intimacy if needed, uh, mm -hmm. for the support and, and encouragement that I need. And that may not be a reciprocal intimacy, yeah. but it's it's definitely a perceived intimacy because of the respect that they have for that person. Yeah, a leader would be helping people find their right. their communities. Right. Not necessarily be their community, exactly. but help them find and create space for that as best as you can, you know. Yeah. I was part of a congregation in uh, California where the uh, elders decided they want to foster that relationship of people trusting and, and uh, decided to use the word shepherd instead of elder yeah. Yeah. in their uh, presentation of who they are. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think that's a wise move, use shepherding language, because we don't use elder language in our culture. 
He set himself apart. <laughs> this is not what sanctification means. <laughs> um, this is a helpful breakdown. I think what you said about it being a web or dynamic is helpful. I think it's helpful in a couple ways. I think it helps us. Um, identify expectations, either ours mm -hmm. or other people's expectations, right, right. and then it also kind of helps you, can help us give ourselves and other people a model like, of trying to match up what you're expecting with the right situation or group. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. And I was thinking about the assembly, you've got a point there. Um, you know, I think part of, an important part of what the assembly does, that level also, is I think it's Theologically, there's an identification and reorientation yeah, sure. perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. And mm -hmm. so, yeah. That's no, that's helpful. I mean, it. I mean, you don't want to. Don't get me wrong. I hope you don't hear me saying, "This is the pattern everybody has to fit into." These are the new five steps. You know, no, these, yeah, these are the new five steps. Yeah, okay. That is not what I'm saying. I, I think it's just a helpful tool to think about my own ministry and the resources in my ministry, and to think about the health of my church. You know, and to help people within community not have, well, as you said, not have um, um, expectations that are, that are just not possible. Yeah, just don't you know. fit with the, yeah. the group. Or yeah, it doesn't group with the, fit with the group dynamics. Over here first. Well, it's just the kind of, way I'm trying to put this together, it sounds like you were saying, you know, if a well-balanced diet of all of these things is the ideal. And uh, it seems like my experience with churches is that we have focused on assembly and community. Mm. And we have assumed that intimacy and solitude is taking place. Yeah. 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 And that might be fair. When, yeah. that hasn't, when that intimacy and the solitude is not there, it affects where we're at as assembly. Mm -hmm. Yes, and so mm -hmm. I don't know. You said it's not a priority kind of relationship, mm -hmm. but you did say it is a definite flow. Yeah, I I tend to see it as a flow here, but and you also that doesn't fit everybody though. Solitude is a foundation. Yeah, for me it is. Yeah, I, I, I tend to think of it that way. I'm sorry. Go ahead. I'm well, I just if 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 the solitude is there and it goes deep enough, it leads you into other areas. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I also get that, that assembly could also push you back into other things that yeah. you're looking for. No, that's a good um, point. And what you're saying about spiritual formation, that's not just a solitude right. thing. That right. is like at all of these yeah. levels. So at intimacy, yeah. I find a lot of value in spiritual direction. And intimacy level yeah. is uh, confession takes place. Right. Assembly level is where I do the spiritual discipline of worship and other yeah. things. Yeah, this is kind of communal worship, right? Shared worship. Yeah, I think all that, that's, that's very good. Um, and I'm a big advocate of spiritual direction as well. I think that that's um, an important, important resource. It's a helpful resource that if we connect with. And service, I mean, a lot, of, a lot of the community groups are service kind of groups, you know. Where we all, we're all on a service day or something, and we get 50 people out there doing something and serve. You get to know people like that, yeah, don't you, yeah. when you're out there working with them. You get to learn things about them that you wouldn't know of. You wouldn't necessarily know by just being in an assembly with them, uh -huh. right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. I, 
I noticed in your intimacy group that at least one person is not from the assembly. Uh, yeah, in my intimacy group, I'm, I'm not in assembly with any of them, in my particular. The one that I described. They're now, not from I have, your church. I'm sorry? They're not from your church. So, no, not my intimacy group, no. So, so where I'm headed with that is yeah. like community, I guess. What, how much of this is supposed to flow from your church? Like yeah. your community, I could see being a parachurch ministry. Yeah. That yeah. is not connected really with anybody else in your assembly. It definitely can. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And so in your way of looking at this, that would be okay in terms of this relational model. Yeah, because we need we need relation we need this kind of experience as a, to be healthy spiritually, it seems to me. And if I have that in a parachurch organization, that's fine, it seems to me. I don't I don't but as a church, I would I would want to suggest that that a church will a healthy church will reveal that there are these levels present. Okay. But that doesn't mean everybody who attends this assembly has to be in a community that's a part of that assembly. Or, you know, or that everybody I'm intimate with has to be there on church on Sunday with me too. Yeah. Yeah. It can be, but I wouldn't say it has to be. Yeah. Last question, then we need to take a break. Yeah, I think that one of the one of the benefits of that and The, the relationships down at the bottom are, are by nature less dynamic in who comprises them, right? Mm -hmm. uh, that, that bottom, the, the solitude, it's always going to be you and God. That next step up, uh, this intimacy group, they are, they are probably not going to change dynamically over the course of your life mm -hmm. in the way that the assembly that you might be a part of is going to change. Yeah, the, compromise those yeah. groups. And in keeping with what Howard was saying, that should set some realistic expectations. You know, sometimes we attend an assembly and we see people coming and going and we find ourselves disappointed because this person left and went somewhere else or uh, moved across the country. And it, I've seen people who are sometimes frustrated, again, because of the unrealistic expectation that the assembly is gonna fulfill what the community and the relationship and the intimacy fulfills. Yeah. But if we recognize the assembly is always going to be more dynamic than these intimacy groups, right. the, the relationship groups, the community groups, it, it's a healthier approach uh, because we, we should expect that there are constants in our life, people that are are always there for the intimacy aspect of things. Yeah. But that shouldn't it's necessarily helpful. dictate that no one ever gets to leave the assembly. Right, <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's helpful. And, you know, if, where... <clears throat> where we expect the assembly to be our solitude with God mm -hmm. or to perform the function of solitude with God, mm -hmm. then uh, that's either collapsing the assembly into something that it's not intended to be or it is um, an expectation that will never be fulfilled. Because yeah. yeah. <clears throat> communion with God in the assembly, it seems to me, it can be an entry point for a lot of people, to be sure. And it will then encourage, it will trickle down, maybe. It will encourage solitude with God, ultimately. But if this is our regular habit of Christianity, that the assembly is my solitude with God, um, that, that is a spiritual, 
um, entropy, you know. It's a spiritual emptiness, ultimately. And only, you know, something happens to the assembly and we don't have anything, yeah. right? Um, and then I find out, well, I don't really need the assembly. <laughs> uh, I just, I don't need God, right? Because that, equi- that was equated with the assembly in some way. Yeah. So a lot of dynamic, a lot of different dynamics going on. You know, it's, it's hard to, we don't want to pigeonhole anything here. We don't want to say it has to be this way or it has to be that way. This is just a tool for your own self-evaluation and to look at your life uh, from an angle uh, that, may be, uh, might, that might be helpful to you. So. Thank you very much. We'll take a break. How long? Yeah, uh, let's come back at 325. 325? Okay. Thanks for listening to this recording from the 2022 Northwest Expositors Seminar. The Expositor Seminar is held each year at beautiful Camp Yamhill in Yamhill, Oregon. It's directed by Mark Johnson and Jay Hawkins. We'd like to express thanks to the Northwest Endowment Fund, which provides some funding for the Expositor Seminar each year. I'm Kevin Jensen, your recording host. Thanks for joining us for this lesson. We hope to see you at the Expositor Seminar next year.